Well, have you ever run into someone that you knew years ago, and when you saw them again, you didn't recognize them? Or maybe you recognize them, but, and hopefully you didn't say this out loud, but you're thinking, you look different. <laughs> I mean, they have changed what they once looked like, they don't look like anymore. Uh, sometimes uh, it takes a season of not seeing someone for a while before we notice a change in them. Uh, other times we notice that change right away. And a year ago, I turned 40, uh, but 40 had been knocking at my door for a while. My wife, Laura, she had been saying, hey, Jason, you either need to use Rogaine or you need to go ahead and shave your head. And so I'm like, all right. Um, it took me a while to face the music, but when I saw Noah Bixby, our Brighton campus pastor, decide to rock the ball dome, I said, you know, that doesn't look too bad. I think I can give it a try. And so a few weeks after I turned 40, I uh, put my girls to bed, and then I pulled up YouTube, and, and I searched, how do you shave your head without cutting your, your head off, right? <laughs> I didn't want to bleed everywhere, so I watched this video, I went to Wegmans, uh, I got a razor, I came home, and I shaved my head, and the next morning, uh, when my five-year-old daughter got up, she walked downstairs, she took one look at daddy, and she just started to cry. <laughs> Her dad had changed, and she didn't like it. And now, thankfully, she's adjusted. Now she likes my bald head, and she still loves her daddy. But sometimes there's changes in our life that happen, and everyone notices them. Uh, last week, Drew talked about change from Colossians chapter 3, that when we place our faith in Christ, that our life should change, that we should kill sin, that we should put on righteousness. And today, as we continue to teach through chapter 3, we're going to continue with that same train of thought, that when we are in Christ, we should change and that people should notice that change. Or you could say it this way, that when we are in Christ, Christ should be seen in us. If you're looking at your Bibles in Colossians chapter 3, you'll notice in the first four verses, Paul talks about when we place our faith in Jesus. So when you say, Jesus, would you forgive me for all of my sin, past, present, future? Would you be the leader of my life? I give you my life. There's four things that happen to us. That we die with Christ, that we are alive with Christ, that we are hidden with Christ, and that we will appear with Christ. Um, or if you want to say it more simply, it's simply saying that when we place our faith in Jesus, that, that Christ comes to live inside of us and that we are in him. And if we are in Christ, then we should change. And yet maybe you find this idea of change a bit discouraging. Maybe, maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for just a few months, and yet when you, you're excited about your faith, and yet, if you're honest, the more and more you look at your life, the more and more areas you realize, man, these are just not good. Or maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, and you thought by now that all these problems that you've had in your life, that, that they would be gone by now, that you'd be a much better person. But instead of finding this passage discouraging, I think we should find it hopeful. Paul is writing here to Christians in a city called Colossae. He's writing to a church, and he's writing to them saying that your life should look different if you were in Christ, but he's recognizing that their life isn't different, that they still struggle with sin, that they still have problems. Otherwise, he wouldn't need to be telling them that they should change. You see, when we place our faith in Christ, our salvation makes us right with God even when our actions are not always right. And so I would say this, don't lose heart if the road of change behind you and ahead of you feels daunting. Instead, let's pursue change together because of what Christ has done in our hearts. 
But that raises the question, okay, so what is this change supposed to look like? If, if we are in Christ and Christ should be seen in us, then how should Christ be seen in us? And as we take a look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17 today, in verse 15 we see that Paul points out two ways that we should change. The first way is this, that we should change internally, that we should have peace with God. He says it this way in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Paul is saying here that if you place your faith in Christ, it should produce peace in your hearts. And so let me ask you, is that true of you? Do you have peace? Is internal peace a battle for you? Is your life riddled with anxiety instead of peace? When everything in your life is going well, do you wonder like, why don't I feel peace? Paul is saying that Christ changes that, that Christ came to give our anxious hearts peace. But, but what is the peace of Christ? And where do we get this peace of Christ that will rule in our hearts? Well, on the night before Jesus went to the cross, on the night before he was crucified, he was eating dinner with his disciples. He said, hey, I'm going to go, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit in my place. Do not be troubled. Later that night, as Jesus was arrested, they would flee away in fear. But he said, I've come to bring you peace. He says this in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives you. The world promises us peace if we are healthy, uh, if we are set for retirement, if, if we find love, if we have the right job, if we have the right home, if we succeed uh, professionally. But that's not the peace that Jesus uh, that promises us. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And in verse 33 of chapter 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus recognized something here, that both his disciples then and that his disciples today, that we would struggle to find peace. And so he said again and again, I've come to bring peace. But where do we get this peace that Jesus is bringing? Well, Paul, the one who wrote this letter to the church in Colossae, he also wrote a letter to a church in ancient Rome where he reminds them of where our peace comes from. He says this in Romans 5.1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified, that is, we've been declared righteous, we've been made right through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So where does peace come from? It comes from having our broken relationship with God restored, that we've gone from enemies of God to friends of God, that we have peace with our maker. So do you struggle to find peace internally? Does peace seem elusive? How can you let the peace of Christ rule in your heart? Well, one of the things that you can do is what Paul did all throughout this letter to the Colossians. He reminded them again and again of what is true for them when they placed their faith in Christ. Here's some of the things that are true of you if you've placed your faith in Christ. That Christ has qualified us to share in his inheritance. That everything that belongs to Christ, to God, it belongs to us. That Christ has rescued us from darkness. That all of the evil of this world, its power over our lives, he's rescued us from that. That Christ has redeemed us. He's forgiven all our sins. That Christ has reconciled us to himself. He has restored our relationship with him. That Christ has made us holier. He's removed every blemish and accusation. 
I mean, every stain, everything in your past, it's all erased. It's all removed. Christ has given us spiritual life instead of spiritual deadness. He's canceled and taken every charge that condemned us. Christ has triumphed over any power that has held us captive. That's what Paul's reminding us is true of us in Christ. And so is internal peace a battle for you? How do we find peace when we lack peace? When we remember what Christ has done for us, we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. In fact, one of the ancient leaders of Israel, a man named Isaiah, he said it hundreds of years before this, he said, you, he's talking about God, God, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, God, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So the first way that we should change if we are in Christ is that we should change internally, that we have peace with God. The second way that we should change is relationally, that we should have peace with others. In verse 15, he goes on to say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, the church body, you are called to peace. Paul is saying here that not only should having peace with God bring peace in our hearts, but it should bring peace with each other. So let me ask you, are there unresolved tensions that you have with another person? Is there a conflict that is looming large in your life? Is there a relationship that is giving you anything but peace? It probably doesn't take very long to, to think of that person in your mind. And just the thought of them, man, I mean, that, that gets you going. We know things that shouldn't, they shouldn't be this way. We know the relationship is broken, but Man, the thought of peace with them, that sounds impossible. Paul is saying that when we are in Christ, that we can have peace with each other. In fact, if you look at verses 5 through the rest of chapter 3, Paul talks about all these changes that should be happening in your life if you place your faith in Christ. And almost every one of them has to do with our relationship with others. If you look at verses 12 through 15, Paul says that in our relationships with others, there should be compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, and peace. Next week, we're going to take a look at the end of chapter 3 of Colossians. And Paul talks about all the changes that should happen in our closest relationships. If Christ is in us, he should be seen in us. He should be seen in our relationships. So here's the question. How do we have peace with others? I mean... What if the tensions are thick? What if there is anger, there is hurt, there is pain, there is distrust? Like, what, what can you do? Well, later in his letter to the Colossians, or to the, to the Romans, Paul says this. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Here's an important truth to remember, that when it comes to having peace with others, we need to lead out in pursuing peace. Paul is saying, don't wait for peace, but make peace. Last week, I was uh, grilling dinner for my family, and I, the meat was just about done, so I went inside to grab a pan for the meat. I grabbed a pan. I was walking out the door, and my wife, Laura, she said, Jason, can you use a different pan? And I thought, this pan's fine. Like, I picked it out. This is good. I'm like, it's, it's good. I'm going I'm to use this one. And she, she pushed back a little bit more, and she said, no, can you use something different? And I said, nope, this is the one I'm going to use. And I walked out the door. And that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> right away, I, God convicted my heart. I knew, you know, I thought my way was the best way instead of doing it her way. And I knew if I continued with my plan that Laura probably wouldn't say anything to me. 
but there would be this little unresolved tension that I chose to do it my way instead of her way. And so I took a deep breath. I, I walked back in the house. I said, Laura, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Uh, what pan would you like me to use? What had been a moment of tension actually turned to be a moment of unity. You see, the, the issue here wasn't the pan. The issue was my heart. Peace is a two-way street. But if we wait for the other person to go first, we may never get there. And when it, when it comes to us making peace with others, there's two questions that we need to ask ourselves. The first question is this. Do I need to seek forgiveness? Think about the tensions in your life. What is your part of the tension? Even if the other person never comes to you and asks for forgiveness, even if they never admit they were wrong, even if their peace is way bigger than your part, what can you do? You can own your part of the conflict. You can admit you are wrong. You can, you can say these words that are, that are so difficult to muster. You can say, not just, I'm sorry, but you can say, hey, I hurt you in this way. Will you forgive me? The second question we need to ask is, do I need to forgive? In fact, two verses earlier in Colossians 3.13, Paul says that if we have been forgiven by Christ, that we must forgive each other. He says it this way in 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You see, when we realize how much we've been forgiven by Christ, even though it might be incredibly difficult, we will be compelled to forgive. And while we can't force the other person to change, we can't make them take responsibility for their part, we can't fix their hearts, we can do our part in pursuing peace. And here's what might happen when you do that it might lead to healing and peace in the relationship. Or it might lead to peace in your heart knowing that you've done everything that you could do, that you have sought forgiveness, that you've remembered what Christ has done for you. And instead of holding on to bitterness in your heart, you're, re you're ready and willing to offer them the same forgiveness that you have received from Christ. Because of what Christ has done in your heart, your relationship with them can change. In fact, you could say it this way, when we have peace with God internally, we can have peace with others externally. If Christ is in us, he should be seen in us. He should be seen in our relationships. Our relationships should change. But maybe you think, okay, I get all this change talk. I mean, Drew talked about it last week. You're talking about it this week. But how do I change? What if I'm not changing? You say, you know, last week Drew talked about the beginning of Colossians chapter 3. He talked about killing sin and, and putting on the clothes of righteousness. In fact, he had clothes on stage. He had t-shirts, a t-shirt with patience and kindness. He said, yeah, take that t-shirt off, put it on. And maybe you're thinking, okay, t-shirts are great. But how do I actually put on peace? How do I actually put on forgiveness? Maybe you say, I know these truths. I know what to stop doing. I know what to start doing. But but I can't seem to change. I feel stuck. Like, how do I change? Help a brother out. Help a sister out. How do I actually change? How do I look different? Well, the good news is that Paul gives an answer to that in these next few verses. He's saying that if you struggle to change, there's one thing that you need to remember. That if your relationships are a wreck, there's one thing that you need to remember. And that if change isn't happening, 
You've got to remember this. And not just remember this, but think about this. And don't just think about this, but fill your mind with this. And don't just fill your mind with this, but fill your life with this. You say, okay, I get it. What do I need to remember? Paul says this in verse 16. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Paul is saying here that if you want to change, if you want Christ to be seen in you and in your relationships, that you must remember the message of Christ. You must dwell on it. You must think about it. But maybe you're asking, okay, well, what is the message of Christ? I mean, is this like the words of the Bible? Is this like the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus? What is, what is this message of Christ I need to dwell on that's going to lead to change? Well, ultimately, the message of Christ is the message of the gospel, uh, a few weeks ago, Brad was teaching from Colossians chapter 2, and he talked about the gospel. What is the, the gospel? Uh, that Christ has looked at the, the record of our life, all of our sins, all of our failures, and he's taken all of our sins and failures, and he's placed them on his account. And he's nailed them to the cross. And in its place, he took our sin, he took our punishment, he took our death, and he gives us his perfect record. He gives us life. That is the message of Christ. It is the message of the gospel. And Paul is saying here that if you want to change, if you want Christ to be seen in you and in your relationships, that you must let the message of Christ, the gospel, dwell in you richly. That if we want our lives to change, we must saturate our lives with the gospel. Now this fall, we're really looking forward to the launch of our Brighton campus. And as we get ready to launch Brighton, we've been saying again and again that we exist to saturate Rochester with the gospel. But before we saturate Rochester with the gospel, it starts with saturating our own lives and our hearts with the gospel. That we should be so full of the gospel that if someone bumps into us, it just leaks out of us. It flows out of us. So here's the question. How do I saturate my life, my heart with the gospel? Well, Paul, Paul shares four ways in verses 16 through 17. He says this, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. How? As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In these verses, Paul points out four ways that we need to saturate our hearts with the gospel. I'm going to give them to you all right away. Uh, through teaching, through counseling, through singing, and through thanking. Okay, so what does this look like? Let, let's think more carefully about these verses here. First, Paul isn't writing uh, a job description for pastors or church leaders. He's saying that every one of us, we all need to do this. That it's not just the job of the pastor to teach or to provide counseling, or to lead worship. All of us need to do these things. This last Wednesday morning, I went for a hike in the woods in Aronacoit, and as I went for a hike, it had rained the night before, so as I was walking around, my feet began to get wet, and the longer I was hiking, um, my socks and my shoes, they, they just got completely soaked with water. They were saturated with water, and it made my hike a little less enjoyable but you know, I didn't mind because something more important was happening in that moment. You see, I wasn't alone. I was with my friend, John. I had met John in a community group 
seven years ago at Northridge. And when I first met him, I was his pastor, but eventually I became his friend. He became mine. And, and over the years, our friendship has grown. Uh, we've moved just talk about talk, we've moved on from just talking about the pleasantries of life uh, to talking about our real life struggles and challenges. And, and last week when we walked together, John began to open up and share some things that he'd been struggling with. He began to confess some sins that he'd been battling. And you know how that helped me? I began to confess my own. You see, in our friendship, as we share our lives with each other, as we open up about our struggles, does it push each other away? No. It draws us closer to each other. We realize, you know what? I am not alone. John has been one of many community group members over the years that has taught me, that has counseled me, that has reminded me of the truths of the gospel that I have needed to hear when I've battled my own sin when I've struggled in my marriage, when I've been anxious, when I haven't been able to sleep, uh, when my wife and I have struggled to conceive, when I've been clueless on how to be a parent. You see, I didn't just finish that hike this last Wednesday morning with wet feet, but I left with my heart saturated with the gospel. When you're looking for a church, don't just look for a church where you love the pastor's teaching, where you love the music, where you can get counseling, but look for a church that invites all of us together to teach and to counsel each other. In verse 16, Paul uses the word admonish. Admonish is another word for counseling. Paul is saying here that, hey, every one of us, everyone in this room, we all need counseling. And not only that, we all need to provide counseling. But in order for us to live a faithful, healthy life, both relationally and spiritually, all of us need counseling. And maybe at some point in your life, you've been helped by meeting with a licensed professional counselor. That was needed. That was helpful. But no matter who you are, none of us can thrive spiritually or relationally without counsel from others who are seeking Christ. And we need to surround ourselves with a community of Christ followers that's going to remind us of the gospel again and again as we battle life's challenges, our sins, our trials, our questions, and our pain. But Paul doesn't just encourage us to teach and counsel each other. He also encourages us to sing to each other. That if you are a follower of Jesus, singing should be part of all of our lives. Whether you love to sing or you can't sing at all, if you are a follower of Jesus, you can't help but to sing to him and to sing about him. We have the best news in all the world, and it should be the theme of our songs. In fact, Paul says in these verses that one of the ways that we teach and counsel each other is through singing. That one of the primary re reasons we sing on Sunday morning is to teach and counsel each other. That we don't just come here to sing to God, we come here to sing to each other. So I want to say this, don't, don't skip the singing and just get here in time for the sermon. If you're watching online, don't skip the singing and just watch the sermon. If you do that, you're missing, a, missing out on one of the primary ways to remind yourself of the truths of the gospel. Do you ever find yourself, you come to this service, maybe even this morning, you come into this service, and you're wondering, how are these people around me so happy? You know, and why are they so into these songs? You think, you know, I just don't get it. The music, it sounds nice. But to be honest, you know, I just don't feel it. You know, the words don't really connect with me. Your heart feels numb. God feels distant. And you, you have this thought in your mind. You're like, can we just sit down already? I mean, I just want to sit down enjoy my coffee, hear whatever this guy has to tell me. There's, many, there's been many times I have found myself there. 
And, and do you know what has helped me? To look around the room. In fact, this might be awkward, but I want you to do that right now. Look around the room. Okay, awkward moment. But when I look around the room, I start to wonder, what are the people around me going through? What are they struggling with? The the longer I'm part of this church, the longer I'm in community groups, the more and more stories I know. And now this room isn't just full of happy people singing happy songs about God. These are stories that I know. I look on the stage at the worship band and I think, man, that person that I just saw, I know they just lost their job. I see the guy who's been struggling with addictions that he just can't seem to break. I see the mom who's been raising her children on her own. I see the parent whose children are estranged from them. I see the widow who just lost her husband. I see the marriages that feel hopeless. And all of a sudden, the words on the screen, I mean, they're not just empty words anymore. They mean something. They're about a loving God who's given his life for broken people. And then I start to think about my own sin. I see the words on the screen. And I've been thinking about my sin all week. I've been discouraged. I've been overwhelmed. I know my life needs to change, but I'm overwhelmed. And then my mind is turned to Christ. And when I see the words on the screen, when I hear the voices of broken and hurting people around me singing words like this, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of my guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. When our spirits are low, The gospel song raises our hearts and our hopes to Christ. And so I want to say, are you discouraged today? Do you lack peace? Are your relationships broken? One of the best things you can do is meet with the church together to sing and remind yourself of the gospel, to teach and to counsel each other. And when we sing, we practice one of the last ways to saturate our lives with the gospel by thanking God. Singing. Uh, thanking God, it, it might not change your circumstances. It might not take away the pain. It might not fix the brokenness. But it redirects our hearts to the future hope that we have in Christ. And, and a heart, yes, amen. A heart and lips that thank God are hearts that are positioned to change. Let's pray. God, man, we we come into this room as broken people. God, our lives are broken. We've got broken relationships. We long for peace. Uh, You said in this world there will be trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Thank you, God, that you've overcome it. That you took my sin. uh, That you have taken my place. 
that you've declared me righteous and you've given me a hopeful future. And I pray that you would speak in all of our hearts today that as we walk out of this room, God, that we'd rest, that we'd find peace in what you've done before us, that we would seek for forgiveness and that we'd pursue forgiveness in the relationships that we have that are broken. God, we need you this week. Um, Give peace to our anxious hearts. May we rest in you, our Savior. I pray these things in your name, Jesus.